So, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> if you don't know me, uh, my name's Tim Hardy. I'm part of the staff here at Crestmont. Uh, I work with the youth along with a couple other people, and I'm excited to share uh, God's word with all of us. I'm going to be sharing from uh, Proverbs 70, 73, which is going to be on the screen behind me. Um, yep, there it is. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Or you can look at your own physical Bibles if you want, look it up on your phone, just listen with your eardrums, whatever works. But let's just uh, jump right in. Uh, psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped, my steps nearly went astray. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock, and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they increase their wealth. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing. For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all of this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will take me up in glory." Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will surely perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, so I can tell about all you do. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for scripture. And Lord, I thank you for this morning, for everyone here, and for this opportunity for us to encounter uh, the truth here. And Lord, I thank you that you are here with us, and I thank you for your blessings. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this morning and be able to bless us going forward. Not bless us because of my words, but bless us because of the work that you have for us. And I love you and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a lot of good stuff in this passage we could look at. Um, I have like two main points I'm going to look at that are actually one point, but it's one point that's two points. That's two halves. But as we jump in, I want to first remind us all 
what this book here that we're looking at is. Uh, one, one of my favorite uh, people in like popular Christianity, the founder of the Bible Project, Timothy Mackey, has this quote that I'm really fond of. Uh, he says, humans doubting words to God become God's words to doubting people. Let me read that again. Humans, you can leave that on the screen. <laughs> humans doubting words to God become God's words to doubting people. What this means, what this quote means is this Bible that I'm holding in my hand, this chapter that I just read, the psalm we're going to look at, it is a sacred text. We know that. It is the divinely inspired word of God, God breathed. But it is also a human text. Like what we're seeing here, it's actual human emotions. Like people wrote this. People, like the writers of scripture, like Asaph here we're going to look at, Asaph wasn't a fax machine. Like he wrote this himself. But through this beautiful, mysterious way, this is also God's words. God talking to us in scripture is quoting other people's words who are hurting to us. It's like if you were having a conversation with someone and you were talking about a hard time you were going through and that person, like that friend or mentor, knew the story of someone who went through the same thing and was sharing that story with you for you to relate with them. That's what God's doing. So this is a sacred text. We're going to look at God's truth. But initially, as we engage with it a little bit, like temporarily turn off the like sacred text filters and engage it as someone's honest emotions. And then as you connect with that, uh, we'll see a little bit about like what God's having to say to us through uh, Asaph's experience. Like I said, Psalm 73 was written by Asaph. If we look elsewhere in scripture, we see that Asaph was a worship leader uh, in this ancient Jewish religious system. Uh, he was appointed to his role by King David, who was this famous psalmist. You know, a lot of the psalms in the Bible came from King David. So he knew a thing or two about music. And he's the one who appointed Asaph to the religious system as a worship leader. And Asaph himself wrote a dozen of the psalms there in scripture. Like, he, like, this was Asaph's job, like psalms, writing these songs, leading worship, playing music. And he served long enough that when David's son, King, Tol King Solomon, built, like, the first temple, uh, it says there in Scripture that Asaph was one of the people there uh, at the dedication of the temple. So Asaph had this long career, like, facilitating worship, facilitating ministry, singing songs. And it's from this context in this ministry that Asaph wrote the words there in Psalm 73 and where he asked this very common question that I think all of us have experienced at one point or another. And that question he asked was, what's the point? Like, like why the heck am I doing this? What, why, why does this matter? What's the point? Speaking of points, the first of my two points is the struggle is real. I want us to remember this. The struggle is real. Like, we, like it's okay. We're going to acknowledge this. Following God is hard. That's what Asaph is experiencing. If we look at verse 3, uh, Asaph wrote, For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
See, Asaph here was like doing all this worship stuff, working within the church context, following God through all this stuff. He was keeping like his hands pure and he looked out in the world to see like how he was impacting things and what was going on. And he looked out there. What did he see? He saw the wicked. He saw these people out there um, in the world and some of the wicked might have even been there standing side by side with him in the temple. Let's be real, wicked people are everywhere. But he saw the wicked who were not really following God. And when he saw them, they looked like they were well-fed. They were comfortable. They were fat. They were so fat that their eyes bulged from fatness. I like that illustration, which back in this day, to be fat was a sign of wealth. It was a good thing. Unlike today, when, when somebody is a little larger, it's hypothetically a sign that they eat McDonald's too often. Hypothetically, I don't know anyone who would that apply to. So, they were comfortable, like well-fed, and to Asaph's eyes, they weren't like afflicted or anything. Like most people suffer some type of affliction, hard times, life is hard. But when he looked at the wicked people, it looked like they weren't, suffering at all. They weren't experiencing any of this common pain. In fact, not only were they not afflicted, they themselves were the ones who were afflicting and hurting other people. They weren't feeling pain, and they were causing other people pain and laughing about it. They were mocking other people, and they were mocking God. Uh, The wicked people were spreading their verbose, self-important, self-serving words all over heaven. It says they put their mouths against heaven and across like the earth, their tongues across the earth. They were putting their words up against God and putting the words against other people and laughing and mocking, asking, what does God know? Does God know anything? Like, what's the point of any of this? And they were just spewing this around. And Asaph's watching this. And as he watches the, like, the wicked people act this way, Asaph also sees God's people who should be worshiping God, that he's working so hard doing worship to help people encounter God. And God's people are listening to the wicked people's words instead. They're turning away from worship. They're turning away from God's presence. And they're listening instead to the wicked people in their words. They're like, yeah, like Asaph, he got some good stuff going on. Like the temple, all this stuff, this is cool, but nah, it's not for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over here, like what these people are saying. I really like, like their songs are pretty good. Like their songs are some bops. I'm going to go over here. Like they got some cool stuff there. I don't care about any of this other stuff. And it's from this place that in verse 13, Asaph asks, did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? Asaph sees this sees the wicked people decide, you know what? Like, I don't want anything to do with God's presence. I, like, don't want any of that. I want to do my own thing. I want to follow the wicked, and the wicked are doing well. And they're like, and Asaph's wondering, am I doing this for nothing? What's the point? It's, I'm keeping my hands pure, and everybody hates me. I'm suffering every day. What's the point? Why the heck am I doing this? Which, if we're honest... That's a very relatable feeling. I'm sure a lot of you have experienced. Some of you might be in the midst of that season right now. It's a feeling I can definitely relate to. But 
I don't really feel like talking about myself right now. I don't really want to use myself as an illustration. So instead, to show a little illustration about uh, what ASAP is experiencing, I'm, instead of using my life as an example, I'm going to use a nice piece of great literature that I'm a quite, quite a big fan of, some great literature and fine arts, a great work of art. I'm talking, of course, about 1967's Amazing Spider-Man number 50 by Stan Lee and John Romita Sr. You know, some great, lofty, uh, fine arts. Um, if you don't know me, I'm a big nerd. Sorry, not sorry. That's what I'm about. Um, and those of you who are not as much of a nerd who haven't read these old comics, it's okay because, like, if you've seen the 2004 movie Spider-Man 2, they borrow a lot from the story. And if you haven't seen that either, I don't know, bear with me. It's, it's Spider-Man. It's costume stories for kids. It's not that hard to follow. So... <laughs> In this story, what Peter Parker, Spider-Man, is experiencing, he's having this heavy like burden. He's doing his thing. He's trying to be Spider-Man, be this hero. And he has to sacrifice so much in order to be Spider-Man, to save people, to do his duties. Uh, he, has an, he has a very small family, including his Aunt May, who's really sick, and he wants to be there for her. But he keeps sacrificing, missing out on that, to go do his thing. He has these new friends he met in college that he wants to connect with, but he has to turn away from them to do this other stuff. He's sacrificing so much to be Spider-Man, and he wonders, what's the point? The public hates him. The, the newspapers, the Daily Bugle, calls him a menace. The common people in the city, a lot of them hate him. And like sometimes he clashes like with the authorities, and like he's just experiencing like all this burden, and he's not able to save everyone that he wants to save. He's working and trying so hard, sacrificing so much, and he doesn't see fruit. So in this particular story, he reaches this point where he's like, what's the point? He's at, like Peter asks the same question that Asaph asked. What's the point? Why am I doing this? So he has a moment where he has this crisis of faith. He decides, you know what, it'd be better if I just gave up. And he picks up his costume, throws it in the trash, and walks away. Now, this was 60s children's disposable entertainment. So spoiler alert, he does not give up for good. Like, they're not going to stop putting out Spider-Man comics. Don't worry, they've put out, like, over 800 issues of the story since then. But, so by the end of the story, he realizes, okay, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And he comes back in to be Spider-Man. But he has this moment where he has to remind himself, why am I doing what I'm doing? What's the point? That's something we have to experience, you and me, every day. And that's something that Asaph had to experience. So, like, why did Asaph not give up? Because we have these nice stories in fiction. But what about when it comes to us? Why do we not give up? Well, first, Asaph saw that the grass wasn't always greener on the other side of the fence. He was jealous of these wicked people out there. Like, he was working really hard, keeping his hands pure, creating these worship contexts, creating all this ministry, and people don't care. They don't want to come. They don't want to participate. They don't want to serve God. They want to do their own thing. And he's like, wow, if I got to be like the wicked and be over there, life would be just so much easier. But then he realizes in verse 18, indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. He realized 
okay, these people who seem like they're prospering, they're fat from their wealth, like no harm's coming to them. It looks like they have everything together. The wicked looks like they got it all together, but sooner or later, God's going to cut them down. Like the time's going to come when, like it might take a while. Like sometimes you have to wait a while for God to cut down the wicked. God takes his time sometimes, uh, which quick aside, the reason why the wicked seem to last for a while, it's out of God's mercy. So like those people out there, like a couple weeks ago, Herb talked about this, talking out of Second Peter, how like the reason the wicked endure for a while is because God has mercy on them. So um, keep that in mind. This is God's mercy and grace. These wicked people in this passage and in my sermon, I'm talking about them as the people out there. But God loves those people too and wishes for them to experience what Asaph experienced. So God's giving them a leash for them to eventually turn to him like St. Paul did and so many others. But if they don't, eventually God's going to cut them down. So following wickedness isn't actually worth it, which is a good point to know, to realize it's not worth it. But if that were the end of the story, it's like, okay, Everything is going to end in ruin for the wicked. But being holy, is that really worth it either? Like, I'm doing so much. Like, if, if either way ends in ruin, then might as well follow the wicked anyways. Uh, live fast, die young. I mean, there's, there's only this. There's only us. No other day like today. Might as, might as well just go for it. But not only is wickedness not worth it, following God is. In verse 25, he realizes, who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. Asaph realizes for a second, he's like, okay, not only is the wickedness not worth it, but like God is worth it. So I, I said I had two points that were one point. The first half is the struggle is real. Like it's okay, the struggle is real. We can admit that. It's hard. Following God is hard. But the blessing is realer. So the struggle is real, but the blessing is realer. What that means is it is legitimately hard to follow God. You will, if you haven't already, and if you're not now, you will have a crisis of faith. You will wonder if it's worth it. You're going to realize it is worth it. It's going to click into place. You're going to be like, Oh, absolutely. Uh, and like Paul, St. Paul realizes too. If we look at Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. So the struggle is real. Paul's knowing that like, it, it hurts. It's hard to follow God. Paul experienced what Asaph experienced. Like, it does hurt, and it's okay. It's hard. We can admit it. But it's not that the struggling is small. It's big. But following God is so much better that it's not even worth comparing the two. And when Asaph realized this, I love the way that he put it. If we look at verse 22, Asaph writes, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you. Which I'm reading this out of the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. 
Uh, it's my go-to translation right now. And I love the way that they chose to translate it there. Like, I was stupid. Like, that's a blunt word. And we get to say that, like, when we're on the other end, we get through the struggle and we find the blessing. We get to look back at how hard following God was, how hard the ministry was. We get to look back at that pain, compare it to the blessing, see how it's not even worth comparing to the blessing because the blessing is so big. We get to look back and be like, that was stupid. And I looked at another translation by this Jewish scholar I really like, Robert Alter, and he translated a little differently. He said, I was adult and knew nothing. That's how he translated those verse. I was stupid. I was adult. I knew nothing. I didn't understand. And this isn't like, this isn't trite. This isn't like goofy and funny. When you're in the moment, when you're in the crisis, it's not funny. Like, it's hard. But, and it's not like shameful that it's hard. It's okay that it's hard. But when we get to the blessing, we're going to be able to laugh at like, can you believe how like hard I thought this was? Like, think about, like, different stories that you have. Some of you might have stories of going through a hard time, and then you look back at, like, the hard time, like, where you were almost in a car accident or whatever thing happened, or maybe you were in an accident, and it's, like, so scary, but then you're able to look back at the story and see how God provided in it. <coughs> so, like, we have that ability to follow God, persevere, and get that blessing of that hindsight of, like, the blessing was so much better. It wasn't even worth comparing. So, like, how did Asaph realize this? How did he realize he was stupid? Let me say how he didn't realize it. It wasn't through logic, facts, and reason. It wasn't through theology and apologetics. Sometimes there can be a temptation when they're struggling and suffering for those of us who are not in the moment suffering, to try to logic someone into it and be like, don't you know? Like, like try to read the Bible verse to them and be like, like, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Don't you realize that, my, bu my buddy? Like, like, it's okay. <laughs> Any of you who have been in a moment of crisis know that hearing that described to you isn't going to make you just click into place. Um, and, like, like, the truth by itself doesn't do that. And I especially think about this recently because, like, this past week and, and beyond, there's been all this talk about people, famous Christians who walked away from the faith, and people struggled with how to deal with that. And th this past week, there was a blog by a Christian rock singer who was calling out a former member of Hillsong who had walked away saying, like, like, how could you have these questions and decide to walk away? Don't, like, oh, you don't see these questions? Like, we talk about these questions. Like, here's all the, like, reasons why you're wrong. And, like, I used to be a big fan of that rock band. I, like, I think they're fine. Like, that, that dude who wrote that meant well. There's a lot of truth in there. But I think the one misstep there is, like, logic, these things do not bring anyone back to the Lord. That's not how it works. As someone who years ago had a crisis of faith where I wasn't sure what I believed anymore and kept it all quiet and really talked about it until like years later. But there was a time a decade ago when I didn't know if I wanted to like stick with it, like keep believing what I believed. I didn't know if I really believed or not. You know what did not get me snapped back into place? Like all the 
reasonal, like, like rationality. In fact, trying to make sense of it is a big part of why I was starting to fall away to begin with. But, but what brought me back, what brought Asaph back, was if we look in verses 16 and 17, Asaph writes, when I tried to understand this, it all seemed hopeless when I tried to understand it until I entered God's sanctuary. And he comes back to this in verse 28 when he's like, but as for me, God's presence is my good. That is how we encounter. So um, if uh, Heather could come back up and play a little bit of music to create. Like that's why we do like what we do. Um, we're not going to, at the end, have a time for prayer ministers as we often do because of the pew thing, but we, but we often do have time for people to come up and get prayer. And any time in your life you can find prayer, by the way. Like if we don't have it organized here, you can still come asking someone for prayer. But we do worship before this, and we create this environment for worship because it is God's presence where we realize it's worth it. That is what Asaph experienced. And that is why Asaph was doing what he was doing. So like he had this crisis where he didn't know was it worth it or not, just like Spider-Man had, just like I've had and you've had, like not didn't know if it was worth it. But the way he realized it was by coming into God's presence and his sanctuary, encountering God. And in encountering God, Asaph realized, yes, it is all worth it. And like all the truth is good and awesome. Like I've encountered the truth in scripture. Like I'm not saying like, like the Bible and the truth isn't gonna change people. Like if I didn't think the Bible had value, I wouldn't have brought that up here. I wouldn't have used verses as much as I did. But the Bible without the presence is just gonna be like a textbook. What it is, is God's presence, encountering God, and he makes us realize it. And that's why Asaph was what he was doing, what he was doing. Like I said, his job was ministry. His job was leading worship, playing music, writing psalms. That was his job in the temple. And he wanted to give up. Just like, like trust me, there's not a person on staff here at this church who hasn't had a moment in their past, in their journey, where they didn't think, okay, is it worth it or not? Do I want to keep doing it? Who didn't have a crisis? But we've all realized it is worth it to keep going. And we realize that in this context of encountering God. Encountering a God who came to earth in the flesh as Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ was God, fully God and fully man. The God we encounter when we come into his presence is the God who came down on earth to meet us. The God who lived like 33 years, give or take, on this earth and then suffered and died on the cross to take away our sins, died, was buried, and was resurrected on the third day so that we could be resurrected with him in the forgiveness of sins. And the God who went to heaven and is now preparing the new heaven and the new earth, preparing the place we have. That is the God that we follow. And as a bit of like final encouragement, like as I talk about how, how we suffer, how Asaph who wrote these Psalms suffered, how this fictional character suffered, 
There's this awesome truth about the God we follow where he experienced the same thing. Um, like I, on the next slide, I wrote, we worship a God who knows what it's like to deny his will for God's will. And this is a really weirdly worded statement, but it's true because Jesus Christ was God. That's the beauty of the Trinity, three who are one. So Jesus, who was fully God, was in the garden uh, like the night he was betrayed before he was crucified. And the, Jesus, praying to the Father, who was God, said, Lord, if, there, like, if there's any way like, to have this cup removed from me, like, like, if there's any way, let that happen. Like, Jesus, there in Scripture, had this one last moment, this one last temptation where he was like, is this worth it to keep going, or do I want to give up? Like, Jesus had that moment, too. So it's not a sin to have that question, to think, is it worth it to push through? But the way that Jesus prayed, he said, if it's possible, let this cup be removed, but not my will, but yours be done to the Father. In this beautiful, mysterious way that if we try to think too hard about it, it'll make our brains like fizzle a little, like it's hard to make sense of. God, in the form of Jesus, gave up his will in order to follow like God the Father. So when we come into God's presence, we are coming into the presence of a God who knows what this experience is like. We follow a God who knows that the struggle is hard, but the blessing to come, both here in this life, but eternally in the new heaven and new earth, the blessing is realer. We have such better things to come if we just push through, strive, and persevere. So in the way that Asaph persevered, persevered, in the way that Jesus persevered, I pray that we also will persevere.